0: These uh, three weeks, we are taking the time to focus on the subject of missions, and let me just say as we begin that although our subject is missions, and our minds and our thoughts might be about how we do something somewhere else, um, we also need to be thinking about how these things apply to us here, Um, because quite frankly, what we do somewhere else should be a reflection of what we're doing here also, and so... um, Even if we're talking about global missions or we're talking about something in another region of the world, remember um, that uh, that is an extension of our ministry. And so uh, be mindful of that as we go through. Now, missions is not simply the task of the church. It is the unfolding plan of the sovereign God of the universe who is working his plan through his people, the church, to the nations so that all the people will praise and glorify his name that's really a summary of what we looked at last week from psalm 67 that god would bless us and that through us he would let the nations be glad and sing for joy so if you remember it was god bless us you know show your favor on us, be merciful to us, so that, and the so that was that through us the nations would be glad and sing for joy. You summarize that that, uh, psalm in that way. So today we want to continue uh, that same theme. We wanna pick up on this theme um, and this thread of blessing that we have in the Word of God. And and quite frankly, what we have today is we're gonna be working through a number of texts. You have them right there in your handout, and it seems like a lot, but we're really gonna let the text speak. We're just gonna let them say what they're saying and help us to to form and fashion a, a foundation and an understanding of what God is calling us to do. This, we're gonna wrestle with some of them, but this theme of, of blessing um, is, is throughout fleshed out in a couple of different ways. And it's going to answer some practical and strategic questions. Things like, who should be doing missions? Or how should missions be taking place? Or what are the priorities of missions? So let's just jump right into this by going back to Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3 and look again at the promise of blessing that God gives, first of all here, to Abraham. Abraham. So we have here a blessing that is promised from God to and through Abraham. And let's just read this here. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you uh, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now at, at the beginning here, I want you to notice that everything that is said in these few verses comes from God being the source. In other words, he is the source of this promise he is the sovereign god that is allowing and promising these things to take place so we have here not just a promise uh, of blessing but a a sovereign god who is promising to bless abraham and to bless through abraham all right So the the point here, this is God's work, this is God's plan. This isn't something, Abraham, this is your plan, this is me, God, working my will through you, Abraham, to the nations. That's the idea here, okay? And we have, friends, the privilege of participating in what God is doing That's one of the driving forces behind missions. It's not, oh, I am equipped and I am skillful and I have all the tools and now I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. No, we want to be equipped. We want to be tooled. But understand, God is already at work. God is already accomplishing his plan. He is already in process doing what he said he's going to do. And you and I get, we have the joy, we have the privilege of being a part of what God is already doing. So we go and say, God, you are at work. Let us see what we can do to be a part of what it is you're doing in this particular location. As opposed to, we're going to do it all. No, we believe in a sovereign God who is working his plan. And what joy it is to be able to go and be a part of that. What a privilege it is that God would entrust us with the blessing of his gospel. So God commands Abraham to go, then promises that through His obedience to this command to go, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The call of Abraham, then, is about God's promise to bless a frail and fumbling Abraham and bless the nations through faith in the promised seed that will come from his family tree. Through Abraham, the idea there is that he is going to be the source of that seed, that seed ultimately being Christ, the Messiah. He's going to bless him, but he's also going to bless him or bless through him ultimately with that seed. So that's why when Abraham is told by God to go sacrifice his son and he raises up the dagger, he is exercising faith because God has already promised that through you, the nations will be blessed. But God, if you say to sacrifice your son, I'm going to trust you no matter what, even though it doesn't make sense to me and right at that point where he's ready to push down what is what happens God provides a ram and God's promise continues. And so we find then as you turn to the pages of the New Testament, Hebrews 11, you know, Abraham exercised faith, all right? He he definitely was exercising faith in the promise of God. Now, it's important to realize that God is not asking Abraham to go and blessing As if being a blessing was a command. If you read back in this passage, look if you would please. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. And he says, you know, your kindred and your father's house, blah, blah, blah. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. He's not saying go and then also be a blessing. He's saying go and I will bless you, and I will bless through you, okay? And you say, well, what's, what's so, so important about that? It's important to note that this is not a command, but a statement of result that comes from Abraham's obedience. Abraham, if you go, there will be blessing. And you say, why is this important? Because the emphasis here in Genesis is on the chosen family's re- re- uh, uh, re- reception sorry, of God's blessing, not the immediate purveyors of it. In other words, it's not that Abraham now had this mandate to go and be a blessing to the nations. His mandate was to go. And God said, when you go, I will bless the nations through you. Now, let me step back. The reason this is important is because more recent missionary endeavors and thinking and ideology will go back to this passage and they say listen what God is calling the church to do is to go and also to be a blessing as if being a blessing is a command and what happens then is we take the word blessing and that word blessing then can be a fuzzy word and the interpretation that is pushed with that interpretation is that being a blessing means that we need to do humanitarian endeavors. And in doing those humanitarian endeavors, we are doing what God has called us to do as a church. Okay? There's a problem with that. And problem number one is, that's not what the passage says. It says, go, and the result will be, I will bless the nations through you. It's not two commands. It's one command with another result if you're obedient to that command. This is significant, friends, because we must make sure that what we're doing when it comes to missions is what God calls the church to do as a missionary endeavor. Okay? And we can get sidetracked so easily. And last week I talked about, you know, missions is not about, you know, holding little babies or feeding the poor and all that kind of stuff. Let me just say this. Because we're God's people, we should have because of our Christian DNA, compassion for those who are struggling, those who are poor, etc. okay? That's just part of of, of what it means to be a Christian looking out and seeing poverty. There should be a part of us that's compassionate. But when you take that and replace that with the mandate that God has given the church, we have done disservice to God and we're not doing what he's called us to do. When we replace his clear instruction to be preaching and to teach the word of God, and we replace that with doing good deeds to people, we have undermined the whole endeavor that God has called us to. And part of this morning is to really lay that out for us and to make sure that we understand that, that those things that are good deeds, feeding the poor, helping those who are needy, those are good things, but that is not the primary purpose that God has called the church to be about. All right? So I just want to make sure that we're, we're, we're understanding that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a bit. Okay, so what happens is we come to Genesis 3, or Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and and the text is misread, and so what happens is when you go to New Testament passages that look back at that text, you end up misreading those texts, and one of them would be Galatians 3, um, 8 and 9. So we move here from God's promise uh, uh, from a sovereign God to and through Abraham now to God, um, the sovereign God to and through the church. And we find here in Galatians 3, 8 and 9 these words. This is Paul speaking now. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now notice here, you may not have seen this before, but notice what it says here in verse 8. Notice that the Apostle Paul writing about Genesis 12 one through three, speaks about the scriptures preaching to Abraham. It's a very interesting expression, isn't it? That God was preaching to Abraham, that the very word of God was preaching to Abraham about faith and about obedience and about how he was going to bless the nations. So as Paul looks back, he recognizes that it was Abraham's faith that was the critical issue. That is what Abraham is identified as. He is identified as a man of faith. So the blessing isn't the result of Abraham being a blessing to the nations, but by being a vehicle used by God to both produce the seed, that's Christ, as well as to trust in that seed, that is Christ on the cross. Okay? Now, again, going back to verse 8, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, how? By doing good deeds? By ministering to the poor? No, it was by faith. By faith in what? Well, for Abraham, it was faith in God's promise of that Messiah, that seed. And for the church... It is faith in what has already taken place on the cross, the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he is that Messiah. Okay? And so the connection Paul is bringing here is that Abraham exercised faith and all those who also are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the blessing here has to do with faith. Okay? Okay? It's not go and bless everyone, but go and call the nations to put their faith in Christ. That's the mandate here. That's the call. That's the direction. Okay? So go and, put, and call the nations to put their faith in Christ. Now, why did Christ come? Tell me. Give me an answer as to why Christ came. To save the world. What else? Or how else would you say... What was his mandate? What did he come to do? Okay, to justify us before God. He came to live a holy life, ultimately to go to a cross and to die on the cross for our sins. But there was a way he went about it. And there are things that were part of his objective. He came to do certain things. So let's look now at another passage Um, a very familiar passage here. We're looking now to this blessing received, but it's a blessing that is received through Christ. And this tells us because Jesus talks about this is what I'm coming to do. Right? Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and following. And when he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the of so all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, just friends, understand this. This, this was a very bold move on Jesus's part. He is walking into the synagogue and saying, This is the promise of the Messiah. Here I am. Okay? Now, as you read this passage, however, you probably are immediately drawn to the various categories mentioned in this text. It talks about the poor, it talks about the captive, it talks about the blind, it talks about the oppressed. Ah, so Jesus came to the poor, to the captive, to the blind, to the oppressed. But who are these people? Is Jesus saying that he has come to meet the needs of these people as if he's come to feed and to clothe and to shelter and bless the poor and the prisoners and the blind and the oppressed? Is that what it means to do missions? Is that what God is calling the church to do? Is that what this text is about? Well, Jesus certainly, as we talked about, does heal the sick. He does uh, feed the poor as part of his ministry, but they were all acts of compassion, and hear this, by him that were pointers to the fact that he was God. They were pointers to his deity. So as he ministered in Jerusalem, as he ministered in Galilee, as he ministered in Judea, when he did provide food for the poor, when he did heal the sick, when he did cast out demons, all of these things were done as as pointers to the fact that he Was himself the Son of God. Now, what's important to understand here is if we think that Jesus came to do all those things, why is it that those activities in the Gospels are there intermittently? In fact, as we've been studying through the Gospel of John, there has been a huge shift in chapter 8, and we're going to find Jesus teaching and teaching and teaching, and teaching. In fact, he goes back to Bethany, and back to Jerusalem to go teach in the temple. He goes back to Bethany, goes back to the t- Jerusalem to teach in the temple, over and over and over again. It's not that he's done healing and doing those things, but his primary focus, his primary purpose was proclaiming the good news. Now, if Jesus came to you know, to, to, to meet the needs of the poor and to, to help those who are sick, why does he stop? Why doesn't he just start gathering in different places and just continue day after day after day to do those things to the poor and the needy? Because there is something far more important that he needs to address. There's something that's far more important and, and eternal than that immediate satisfaction and provision as far as physical help is concerned. Now, um, those expressions, the poor, the captive, the blind, and oppressed, are all figures of speech and should not be taken literally. Now hear this. Let's just read this passage once again. They express the condition of man's soul that is in need of divine help. Again, Luke 4, 18 and 19 Jesus talking about himself as the anointed one, he says I'm called to do these things, verse 18, the spirit of the lord is upon me because he's anointed me to what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And that proclaim would would reinforce and also support that recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Get this, he's come to proclaim the the good news to the poor, those who are uh, impoverished in spirit, to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are captive to sin. To proclaim the recovering of sight to the blind, those who are spiritually blind. To set free those who are oppressed, the spiritually oppressed by sin. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he's identifying in that statement that he himself is the Jubilee. Not that Jubilee is coming, but I am the Jubilee. I am the one that can set everything right. And I'm beginning it today. Now friends, this is so critically important because if we go to passages like this and we see words like poor and oppressed and the blind, and and, and we have a bent toward doing good works, and that's what God has called us to, and, and that's it. We have a tendency to miss what is being talked about in this passage. It's proclaim, it's proclaim, it's proclaim. Jesus came to proclaim the good news about himself, about God's satisfying of wrath, that sacrifice once for all. So ultimately, when the Messiah comes, he will announce the good news. He will have a ministry of speaking, teaching, or preaching. And we know that his ministry of teaching will culminate with the ministry of sacrifice on the cross. This is the good news that he is proclaiming to the spiritually poor, okay? And it's so important for us to see this that it's, it's a ministry of proclamation. If we want to do what Jesus did and say, what, you know, what would Jesus do? Let me tell you what Jesus would do. Yeah, he healed, he did feed some poor, but he came to proclaim. And that should help us shape how we do ministry, not only in the foreign field, but also here, that the focus of our ministry is opening up the word of God, is speaking about the gospel, it's proclaiming the truth that people ultimately truly need. Okay? So the blessing, the good news, will come through Christ, but what will it look like? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, here's where we need to go to another familiar passage of Scripture, and that is found in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. What is this blessing then that is being talked about? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question. And as we go through this passage, I, just, I want you to think of Christmas. And I want you to think of yourself as being a little child and you're receiving this gift at Christmas, and it's a it's a box, and when you open up this box, it's not just one thing. It's like, it's like you know, it's like getting a you know bunch of Hot Wheels, and you got like you know fifteen different Hot Wheels in there. Or if you're a girl, it's it's all these Barbie things with clothes and stuff like that. Or if you're a man, it's a it's a toolbox, but it's not just a toolbox. It's a toolbox full of tools. Okay. So, when you open this up, it's like, oh, look at this. And then you open it up and you look further, and it's like, wow, screwdrivers and wrenches and drills and saws. And, okay, that might be a little too much for a toolbox, but you, know, you get the idea, right? It's full of much more. And oftentimes we think, oh, okay, you know, I, I, I've got salvation. And what, what Paul does for here in Ephesians 1 is he says, yes, you've got salvation. Let's, let's open the lid and let's look and see what is all involved there that you have, that you have been given. This is what is called the blessing. Look at verse three, if you would, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. See the language there? How, what does it mean to be blessed? Blessed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose uh, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in the earth." of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now you understand. There's like tons of sermons right there in that passage, but I just want you to get the snapshot of what's going on here. And I've I've listed what is it? Seven, seven blessings, seven benefits that are that come with this gospel message. This is how He's blessed us. All right. There's election. He chose us in. Him. The point here isn't trying to figure out how he did it. The point is that he says that he does it. All right. He chose us. We have been elected. We have been, secondly, adopted. He pre- predestined us for adoption. He's brought us into his family. The third thing is redemption. In him, we... Have redemption through his blood. The idea of redemption is to buy back. We have been purchased with his blood. The next thing is the forgiveness of sins. We have forgiveness of sins. In him we have uh, forgiveness of transgressions. Then there's revelation. He makes known the mystery of his will. He has blessed us by revealing himself, revealing his heart, revealing his will in the pages of his word. We also have an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance, it says. You have an inheritance. Whether our economy on earth is good or bad, in heaven, you have an inheritance. And then finally, we have assurance. In him, you also were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and the idea of that sealing is you have this engagement ring. That's the idea. There's a promise. You've been sealed. You've been secured. That is the promise of your relationship with Him. Now, friends, listen. We, we may talk about, oh, yeah, they need the gospel, but do we understand all the things that come with the gospel? This is what the nations need. Now it's not saying that they don't need food or they don't need clothing or they don't need help in in certain areas, but ultimately what they need is they need the gospel and they need the blessing of the gospel. And if you have the recipient of all these things and you have the opportunity of giving that and being a blessing to others by showing them the gospel, teaching them the gospel, explaining the gospel so that they can be the recipients of the gospel, you have given them a blessing. Blessing. And that is true here in the Bay Area just as much as it would be anywhere else. This blessing that God promises through to Abraham and through Abraham to the church through the church is the blessing that we have received through Christ, because he's proclaimed it to us, but also we have it in Christ. Did you notice in the passage? In him, in him, in him, in him. Because as God children, that's exactly where we are. We stand in him. There's nothing that we have done to deserve it. And we are covered and clothed, scripture says, with his righteousness. And the benefit of all of that is what we find listed for us here in the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Now friends, that is powerful. That is the blessing that we have that God channels through us to the nations. Let's just put all this together so far. Number one, God has promised a blessing to and through Abraham, which is in turn to and through the church. Number two, it is a message that comes through speaking, teaching, proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the nations. Number three, the blessing is the gospel and the many benefits of the gospel that we receive. Okay, that's where we are so far. Now let's move on. A blessing... Not only promised, not only received, but now a blessing coordinates. So now we're getting to the, okay, now that we've received it, what do we do with it? And in truth, uh, what we're going to look at right now is Romans chapter 10, um, and uh, in particular verses 13 through 17. But all we've talked about so far really is, in one sense, an exposition of Romans 5 Sorry, Romans 10, 5 through 17, because it is the word of faith that we proclaim. It's the word of faith, right? Go back to Abraham. It's this word that was preached to Abraham. It's this word of faith that's preached to the church. It's the word of faith that we receive. It's all this word of faith that is a part of who we are that has an impact on us. But the question here is this. The message of blessing through Abraham and the church is the message of faith, but how does that faith get to the nations? When we read in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that, but how does that get to the nations? All right. Now we know God is sovereign, he does what he does, but he also does what he does through his church, through his people. Okay. So the question now is this, who will go and who will send? So let's just think through this. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Let's just, just kind of pull out the formulas that we have in this passage, all right? Formula number one. Right, Paul reveals the process from the end game working backwards. Right? He talks about the call, the belief, hearing, and the preaching. You end with the call, and he's working his way backwards. Right? So we, we ought to flip it around for our purposes to see the flow of events and the flow of activity. It begins with, you need someone who's going to proclaim the good news. Now, you might want to say formally, yeah, sure, it can be a preacher, but it's anyone who has the truth of the gospel that is going to open their mouth and share that gospel, all right? So there needs to be someone to preach. There also needs to be someone who will hear. And how can they hear unless they have the preacher? So you have to have the preacher so that people can hear, and when people hear, they will believe, and ultimately, in believing, they will embrace Christ. That's the flow. It's right there. Then at the end, he says, now faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Again, he's got this backwards for purpose of argument here, so let's flip it around. What do you have to begin with? Based on what he's just said there in verse 17. How do you get faith? It starts with what? The word of God. Now we can understand what he said, that word of God proclaimed, that word of God shared. That word of God proclaimed so that people can do what? Can hear. And once people hear, then they can exercise faith, right? So there is this process, there's this need to say, okay, someone has to take this good news and has to proclaim it so that people can hear. Now, this is obvious, this is clear, I understand that, but it's important for us to understand that the word of God is what is being communicated, that it's the gospel that is being proclaimed, built on what we've already studied so far. So, the question for us now is who will go and be that preacher, that teacher, that speaker? Is that what God is calling you to do? Let me ask you this. Is that what God is calling you to do? Is that what God is calling you to do? Is that what God is calling you? Is He calling you to go with the gospel? Now, let me just say this. Locally, He's calling all of us to do this. This is all of our responsibility. He said, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. That's part of training and equipping and helping you get to that place. But also don't let your fear be an intimidation that you will never open your mouth and share the good news. Then the question is, who's willing to go globally? Because you know what? In order for the gospel to get there, in order for the word of God to get there, someone has to take the message, right? Someone has to go. So the question is, Is that what God is calling you to? And please hear this. I really believe that our church should be about sending people to the ends of the earth with the gospel. That should be part of our goal. We should long for that. We should pray for that. We should rejoice in that. That's what Paul says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. All right? You understand, that's a figure of speech we're not measuring people's feet and saying, okay, you're fit for ministry, okay? The idea is people are willing to go and they're going for the glory of God to take the gospel to the nations. That is something that we should be rejoicing over, we should be delighting in. But this should also be a local ministry, not just the end of the, end of the earth ministry. So let's, let's assume that we have some, some people who are willing, they're equipped, they're qualified, they're brothers or sisters in Christ who are ready to go to the nations. How will they go? Well, you need someone to go, but you also need someone to send. The the assumption is, if there's someone to go, then there needs to be a group of people that are willing to send too. Because going by yourself is kind of you know being a maverick and going on your own. You, You really need the body of Christ. There's something about community that is important, both locally as well as globally. So, Will that person, um, um, well, who will send those preachers, those teachers, those speakers? We can't all go, but here are some things that we can do. We can send, we can support, we can see that those who are the called ones to go are trained and equipped, we can pray for them, we can assist them in some way that God would allow us to assist them to get to that place, we can give financially, give our resources, we can exercise hospitality, we can encourage, and the, the list goes on. It's all part of being a church family that is willing to come around those who are called to go to the nations. And we ought to be ready to do that. I mean, for example, if someone's going to say you know saying, you know God is, is calling us to the mission field and we're not exactly sure how we're going to get there or what it's going to need part of our responsibility to say, what can we do to assist and to help? That might mean that we, well, we open up our home and we let them stay in our home for a season so that they don't have to worry about rent and things like that. They can prepare themselves for what they need to do. It may mean coordinating, e- equipping, and training so that they can get the training and preparation to get to the field. You understand what I'm saying? But it's, it's the community of believers that aren't just saying, well, it's nice you want to go to the mission field. There's a few organizations out there. Just go talk to them and no, we have a responsibility too, and we should be sure that we are taking care of our own and supporting and strengthening our own and partnering then with our other organizations, but ultimately being this huge resource for those who are going. Now, how will they go and how will they send? Let's move now to another passage of Scripture, um, and that is Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Okay, good. Now, we need to really think, our, think through this passage. Um, because when we're done, this will reveal for us, I think, a great strategy, biblical strategy for doing missions. And uh, it's one that you already know about, but I'm trying to root everything that we're talking about here in Scripture, allowing it to speak. So let's go to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40 and following. And we are picking up in the middle of Jesus telling a parable, Okay but we're gonna begin at verse 40 because we don't have the time to go through the whole thing. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it uh, to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed uh, into the, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Now, friends, the language of this passage is extremely strong, is it not? Jesus is making a very strong point in this parable. And if that's true, we want to make sure that we take it seriously, that we actually allow it to say what it needs to say. Failure to do so and being guilty of neglecting his words places us in great peril as the recipients of Jesus saying, and here's what he says in in these words, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment. I don't think those are the words that you want to hear from Jesus. Would you agree with me? Okay. Um, You want to be on the opposite end of that stick, so to speak, right? So, what is it that Jesus is saying? Is this a call for the church to feed the hungry to give a drink of water to the thirsty, to exercise hospitality to the stranger, to clothe the naked, to care for the sick, to visit the prisoners in jail. That is what many would want you to think. That the least of these is an expression for all kinds of people in these down and out conditions. In fact, I think if I were to ask and and talk about ministry to the least of these in our modern context, this is what I would hear. Well, that means ministry to the homeless. It means going down to the rescue missions and helping people who, who, are, who are there and, and maybe being a part of a soup kitchen and, and, and feeding the poor. It may be ministry to the poor. It may be ministering to people, in particular women or young women who have experienced abuse or are, are finding refuge because of the potential or the past abuse that has taken place or, or addicts or prostitutes who are looking for help, or people who are living on the streets. Now friends, hear this, and I want to make sure I say this emphatically and clearly, and it's it's understood. Ministry to the homeless, to the poor, to the abused, to the addicted, etc., is necessary and is part of God's plan and purpose for his church. Did you hear that? We must be people of compassion. To be spiritually poor, in bondage to sin, to be blind to mercy, and to be oppressed by the ongoing plague of living in, in a sin cursed world is the very reason why Jesus came into this world. Sin and sinfulness, however, crosses all social boundaries. The rich and the poor, the educated and the illiterate, the landowner, the laborer, the healthy, The sick, all of those people are in enmity with God. But as people of compassion, we say it is very important that we consider ministry to those who are, might want to say, down and out, those who are afflicted. It is a ministry of mercy, and a ministry of mercy does glorify God. But to replace the proclamation of the gospel with a ministry of mercy is a problem. You hear? Now, I want to make sure everyone understands. Should the church care for people who are down and out? What's the answer? I just want to make sure you're hearing me correctly here because it's very, very possible that you'll hear, Rod doesn't think that we should care for anyone who's in need. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, That is not God's primary purpose when it comes to missions or to being a church in a local community, right? Now, you say, well, where are you going, Rob, with this? This passage is not addressing these people, the poor, the oppressed, and so on and so forth as a general population that the church should do good deeds for. Who are the least of these who is Jesus referring to? Well, let's look back at verse 40, and he will tell us. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now, the least of these is a specific, specific reference to my brothers. Now, we must be careful we don't impose here an English language colloquialism that would say, you know, if you do this to the least of these, and then look into the audience, my brothers. He's saying the least of these who are my brothers. In other words, the least of these equals my brothers. Which means that this instruction, this guidance, this counsel, these warnings, these very, very passionate and powerful words are not directed at God's people in their evangelistic endeavor. They're directed at God's people with regard to them taking care of their own. Notice that there's no commas here. Did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. It's a continuous statement. So the least of these are my brothers. Listen to what Kevin DeYoung says here. I I agree with him totally. There is confusion in the church today regarding what the church is commanded to do. It might help if you read it. I'm sorry. I'm doing this. Is it up there? Nope. Nope. Sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we go. All right. There is confusion in the church today with, regarding what the church is commanded to do with the church and reading into those texts what the church is to be doing in the community. Hear this. In this passage, Jesus is not giving a command for the church to take care of the community or even to take care of a subset of the community. Jesus is commanding the church to take care of its own people. The least of these, then, refers generally to Christians in need. Okay? It's a general application for the church to take care of the church. In particular, however, this is an application or a statement talking about the church taking care of the itinerant Christian teacher who is dependent on the hospitality from their family of faith. I just want you to travel back with me in your head back to the time when Paul is writing these letters. How was the word of God spread among the nations? We have Paul and Mark and Barnabas, Timothy going on various missionary journeys together, right? What did they do? They went from town or city to city. In fact, Paul in particular went to the main cities and the strategy was to go to the cities and he would go, he would teach, new people would be converted, a church would be established, and then he would move on. And that church then had a responsibility of spreading the gospel in that context to the villages and so on and so forth, right? Well, who's doing all that? As we read through the gospels, um, and and, and in, the, in the book of Acts, we have Paul, we have Timothy, we have Titus, we have Epaphroditus, we have Peter, we have James, we have John, we have Apollos, we have Barnabas, John, Mark. That's just a few of them. And there are so many others not mentioned who were faithfully going from city to city, town to town, village to village, proclaiming the blessing found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened with those people? And uh, upon whom were they dependent? I mean, they didn't just say, well, I, you know, I just found myself in Ephesus I think I'll stay at the Red Roof Inn no they would go find the body of believers they would find those who were part of their own family so to speak spiritual family and they would they would go from town to town with just the stuff they had with them and on that journey they could be hungry they could be thirsty they could get sick their clothes could you know could could get all disheveled get worn out Sometimes they were thrown in jail because they were preaching the good news. Now, the question is if you have a fellow believer who is faithfully out there taking the gospel to towns and villages, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and he shows up at your doorstep, how are you going to treat that brother or sister in Christ? Jesus says, This is the least of these. You better take care of your own. Because if you don't take care of your own, guess what? You're destined for hell. That's pretty powerful language. If you're not willing to take care of your own, you are not worthy of eternity in heaven. Now this is where Kevin DeYoung also kicks in. If we are too embarrassed, too lazy, cowardly to support fellow Christians at our doorstep, who depend on our assistance and our our suffering for the sake of the gospel, we will go to hell. Now, my point here is not to say ministry to the poor or the suffering or the hurting or the needy is unimportant. My point here is to say this passage is not talking about that. It's talking specifically about those who are Christian brothers and sisters who are itinerant preachers in particular who are going around the gospel and if the church won 't care for its own, what good are we? you with me there okay now we have then a responsibility to our own. what does that look like then um, for us in particular locally we can say generally that any brother or sister in Christ who is in need of uh, of, of help fits into this category but specifically those who are part of our fellowship there's got to be a priority to those who are part of your own local fellowship. That's one of the reasons why church membership is so important. You say, you know what, I'm aligning myself with Gateway Bible Church. That means that Gateway Bible Church is partnering with you, with your growth and your development, and with your suffering and struggle. So if you're hurting and you're struggling, we then have a responsibility as a church to look out for our own people as a priority. It doesn't mean we, you know, someone else who's a Christian, you know, looks for help and say, well, pff, go find your own church. But there is an aspect of, have you gone to your own church? Because we have a responsibility to take care of our own people, all right? There's, there's, there's a legitimacy there for that. Globally, however, what we can say is that in general, any brother or sister in Christ who is in need fits in this category, but how do you wrap your hands around every brother and sister in Christ around the world? specifically it refers to those people who are faithfully taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nation. So it would fall into two categories. Category number 1, missionaries. And when I say missionaries, I'm thinking about those who are from our fellowship, those who are who we are partnering with that are maybe from the states that are going to a particular area, okay? Sent from our church to the nation. Secondly, it would be national pastors in partnership with our church. So those who are already in those nations who are needing support and help, and we can have an opportunity of coming alongside them because they are the least of these. They're the ones often that are facing the struggles and the hardships, and we as a church can be a support to them in a variety of different ways, okay? So following the same example and idea of Paul going to main churches, we can support national pastors who are overseeing various areas, um, uh, and various other ministries and pastors and churches and help them to equip those who are then ultimately going to go and take that and equip other people too. All right, now let me just give you some, some, some practical examples of that. This is from my own experience and I'm just sharing with you what I know because I've been a part of it. This can be true in so many different places, um, but uh, here are just a couple of examples, okay? Many of you know I've done ministry in Russia um, and uh, my first experience um, in Russia was in a place called Kirovichpetsk you've probably never heard about unless you've heard me talk about it. Uh, Kirovchopetsk actually was a town in Russia that was not on any map. It was a secret town because in that town they had a chemical plant. And um, at that plant, I'm sure they produced a lot of things that um, were not nice as well as things that now benefit people. But um, a place called Kirovchopetsk. I think that was around year 2000. or So, and I, along with... About eight other churches, uh, our church and another, about another eight other churches, took on um, an opportunity where we could support 25 missionaries or pastors. These are people who are needing equipping, need training, so they could go out and start churches, um, 25 of them for two-week sessions for the course of one year, so ultimately it was 16 sessions, and it would cost us collectively $50,000 to train them, to provide food and lodging and to give them a stipend so that their families who are sending them to this, many of them had wives and children, could also be taken care of. Let me ask you, 25 people going through a year of seminary-level class, $50,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to what it would be to bring them over here and to do that, as well as taking care of the family and providing not only not only you know, food and and, and, and lodging for them as they are trained, but also for their families, okay, all right, so we partnered together, and we said, we're going to do this, it was called a Strategic Bible Institute, and so we would go teach for two weeks, and while we were leaving, another crew from a different church was coming, and they were teaching the next two weeks, and we had all these different classes laid out, and it was incredible just to see the development, and the growth, and how these guys would be trained, let me tell you what, they were hungry for God's truth, they were hungry to Find out what God was, was wanting them to, to see and to hear. When you went there, they had this, this map of their area. Um, Kirov was the actual region in Russia. And these, these men had pushpins uh, represented villages where they were praying about starting a church. I mean, there was, this, there was this, this kind of this endeavor. We are going to go plant churches. And we were a part of the training and preparation for that. I went back about three years later en route to another place in Russia. And I met with the pastor and Alexander was just a just a great brother, and you know he pulled me aside and he said, "Rod, I don't know why he chose to, to to dump this on me, but he did." He said, "Rod," he said, "we've been able to go plant these churches." He says, "But we're hurting and we're suffering." And I said, "Well, what's going on?" He says, "The pastors are struggling in their marriages. The pastors are struggling with their children. Um, many of them are having to work two jobs, and." high stress and there is lots of conflict. And just, you know, in short, a lot of the conversation I had with him, I said, I said, Alexander, planting churches is important, but now you have to shift focus and you have to take care of these brothers and sisters in Christ. Because these guys, I mean, they, literally, there's a village, hasn't heard who Jesus Christ is. They're walking in with the gospel. They're, they're talking with people. They're establishing churches. And they're spending all their extra time. These guys are working jobs, but they're going off on the weekend to these different places. And guess what? What these men needed, what these women needed, was they needed counsel as far as their marriage, as far as their parenting. And that's the heart cry that, that's coming now from these who are, people who are representing God in these different places. So it's about planting churches, but it's also about supporting those who are planting churches and the people that are under their care. And now, if we say, hey, we're gonna come, what can we do? How can we help? What can we teach on? How can we be the best support and help to you? Resoundingly, it's always teach us about marriage, teach us about parenting, teach us about counseling. It's not that we don't want to hear about Christ and getting into theological things, but they need the practical help and support because ministry is hard. And friends, understand this. Ministry in other places is not cookie cutter. It's ugly. It's a struggle. It's discouraging. And there was a season where it's just like, boy, churches were just popping up in Russia all over the place. Well, that's not, that's not happening anymore. It's hard work. The second place I, I ministered to in, in Russia was a place called Ufa. And I've been there four times now, taking teams. And again, the, the focus of the ministry was training, was teaching, a little different kind of a setup. Um, but again, similar struggles were there. Again, uh, this last time I was there well, a year ago, April, and, and every home I went into, <laughs> it was wonderful, but it was sad. They would pick up a book and they would say, would you teach us? When you come back, would you teach us about this? And they're holding up shepherding a child's heart by, by trip. They wanna know how to parent. They wanna know how to, how, how to be married and what that looks like. And, and there are cultural struggles that are there, okay? The same reality is there. And these are people that are they're, they're trying to be faithful to, to build the church and grow the church. And friends, we can come alongside and be a help and a support by training, by equipping, and doing other things. As you know, we're planning a trip to Bolivia. Um, little over a week from now we're, we're going to be looking and the reason why we're going is a lot of different reasons because we're looking to consider what God would have us do as far as missions in this church but one of the things that we've concluded is as we've looked at that is do we already have some relationships established so that we can truly do partnership ministry because to do a partnership ministry in another region means that there has to be trust there has to be a relationship of understanding. There has to be an awareness that we're not trying to come and turn everything upside down, that we're willing to work with the crew that is there. Okay. So it's important to, to understand that part of the reason we're going there is because there is that relationship with Matthias. And Matthias, about a year or so ago said, Rod, we really have a need here in, in, in Bolivia. And um, would you consider putting together something very similar to what you were doing in Russia? And I said, Matthias, I said, I don't know if that, that's possible. It means that other churches would have to be involved, but I would love to be able to investigate it and to look at it and to come and see what would be best here. And uh, that's part of why we're going. It's just to examine and just to see what can happen. And he, you know, he's saying, Rod, he says, I've got 12 churches that I oversee formally um, and about six of those churches, they have, I want to say, good men who are trying their best to lead, but they're not, qualified pastors, they don't have the education, they're just holding the fort, so to speak. Our greatest need is training Christian workers. Now friends, see we have the opportunity of ministering to those who would be the least of these. Those who are out there on the front lines in places that that we can't do ministry but they are doing ministry and they're working jobs or they don't have much and they have certain needs and and we can come alongside them and be a blessing to them on a humanitarian level but also teach them how to reproduce themselves with the gospel by training others. And so part part of the vision in Bolivia is, you know what, let's go Let's see if we can set up some kind of a training tool with these pastors and Christian workers so that ultimately, when we step out of there, they'll be able to train themselves for the work of the ministry. And just you know, just kind of get this through, through your, your mind and thinking. Many of the pastors that are out in the, in the villages, Matthias you know, told me, he says, if they come to Santa Cruz, which is the main city, to get training and to stay there for seminary, they don't want to go back because there's running water, and there's electricity, and you you see all these complications that take place in the context of missions, and yet God has given us the great opportunity and privilege of doing that kind of stuff, coming alongside those who are the nations and helping and supporting. And, And friends, this is what God is calling the church to do. Now, with all that, this great opportunity then to do some things that would be like feeding the poor clothing those who are needy maybe even doing kind of you know, medical trips or things like that as vehicles to help support and strengthen the body that is there but the primary purpose is what? is declaring the good news okay so you may be asking yourself why the sermon title putting a cap back on missions well I want you to think through this if you have your bulletin, you'll notice that in our bulletin we have listed our mission statement. It is our desire to glorify God by building a community of believers who are actively committed to knowing, applying, and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, that, that mission statement expresses what we believe the church, our church, has been called to do not just here along the 580 Corridor but also around the world. So if we're to say it missionally, it might sound something like this. It is our desire for the nations to glorify God by helping plant and build specific communities of believers who are actively committed to knowing, applying, and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that they in turn can help plant and build specific communities of believers who are actively committed to knowing and applying and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that, you see where this is going, our mission, our vision is the same thing that we want to see take place around the world. And you can say it a number of different ways. This is simply how we've chosen to say it. Knowing, applying, and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking that and putting that back in mission, so to speak. If it's all been, you know, been kind of drifted away because of more humanitarian endeavors, which are good but are not the primary focus, let's put this back in its place and let's do what God has called us to do creatively, purposefully, using the resources that God has given us, using us, using our gifts and talents. Friends, we can do this. We can't do it all, but we can do whatever God directs us to, leads us to, and it can be powerful, and it can be effective, and we can truly be channels through which God blesses the nations. Lord, we we ask now as, as we contemplate the things that we've looked at today to consider, Lord, what it is that you would have us do, not just as a church collectively, but, Lord, as individuals before you that are part of this church. Lord, there are some people that you are stirring up even now that are willing to say, I'm, I'm willing to go and I want to go. For some people, it may be I'm willing to go on a short-term trip. For others, it may be I'm willing to go on a, on a kind of a mid-range trip. For others, it might be I, I want to I give my life to the spread of the gospel among the nations. Lord, we want to be about that. And Lord, would you stir up people in, in our midst, Lord, that would, would, would believe that this is what you are calling them to. But secondly, Lord, would you allow us then to be a sending church, to see our responsibility, not just to do it to the nations, but also to be active in, in spreading the gospel here, that we would open the word of God, that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'd use our gifts and talents to accomplish that here as you would direct us. But Lord, also that we would, that we would send And be willing to send and be a part of sending those who go and who are taking the gospel to those places or helping to support the least of these that are on the the front lines in their context, trying to spread the gospel for your glory. Lord, we are the recipients of a preached word, we are recipients, Lord, of a spoken gospel we have been blessed through your church, by your gospel. And Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. May we not make light, Lord, of this spiritual blessing that was laid out for us in Ephesians, but may we see it, Lord, ultimately as the most beautiful gift that we can give. Help us, Lord, to be a church that is not only passionate about missions, but Lord, that is rooted in gospel missions for your glory. Now, Lord, as we step back and as we pause and as we think about what you have done in our lives, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's table today, would you allow us to do some soul searching? If there is sin in our lives, if we have something against someone else, Lord, would you help us to be restored? Lord, help us to to grow through this time as we remind ourselves, Lord, of the beautiful gospel that we have received through your body and through your blood, we ask in your precious holy name. Amen.